Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. This weekend, we are continuing our series entitled Unbeatable Hope. And I have been in a three-part sermon in the midst of this series. And uh, as I was studying for this weekend's message, it started to get longer and longer and longer. And so I'm turning this uh, part three into 3A and 3B, okay? (laughs) Otherwise, we'd be here for an hour and 45 minutes, okay? Uh, So if, if anybody didn't get notes, uh, there are over 21 liners in this message, um, and I want you just to be able to write down what you hear the Holy Spirit saying. So if you didn't get notes at either campus, would you just put your hand up? We'll make sure you get the notes so you can fill them out, follow along. It has all the scriptures in there. So if you didn't bring your Bible, uh, it, it's a lot easier to follow along. But I, I just remember, I want to remind you uh, why we prize the act of taking notes, because it's a posture thing. We are communicating to the Lord, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. That's what is happening. That's what we're communicating when we are taking notes. And it's not about what I'm saying, okay? It's not about what any person standing in this pulpit is saying. It's about what the Holy Spirit is speaking, all right? So if you didn't get notes, make sure you you get them before we get going. And if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to two spots. Open up to Romans chapter 14. We're only going to read one verse, but the verse is so important I want you to turn there and we'll read it together and then put a marker in John chapter 1. Put a marker in John 1. We're going to go through a lot of John, uh, so we're going to hop around there. And the title of this message, 3A and 3B, is Understanding What the Holy Spirit Does. Remember, part one of How Hope Grows was understanding what God is like. Part two was understanding what Jesus did. Now... Part 3 in 3A and 3B, we will cover understanding what the Holy Spirit does. This is one of the fastest ways hope grows in our lives is understanding what the Holy Spirit does. Now, let's look in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, because I, I know anytime I preach on the Holy Spirit, I know some of you come from different churches, different denominations. Some of you have been burned by churches that quote-unquote, operated in the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And so I, I always am aware of the fact that, that some have some, some PTSD related to the Holy Spirit or uh, I, I won't say bad teaching. Uh, I, I would just say this. Uh, you may have come from uh, a different church or a different denomination where there was incomplete teaching. Not bad, okay? I would never say it was bad teaching, Because when the Bible is preached, it can't be bad, but it may have just been incomplete. So I want to read you uh, the first passage here, just one verse, and it is so incredibly important for every follower of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. Before I read it, can I just say 11 people gave their lives to Christ last weekend? Like, why... In the Sam Hill, would I even read a verse before I said that? Is that not craziness? That's just craziness. I I mean, 11 people. Good Lord. That is, man, Jesus, I want you to come back, but not too soon, because this is fun. 
Romans 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness. Your translations may, may say righteousness, but living a life of goodness and peace and joy. And watch these next four words. In the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is all about a life lived with righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. One of the greatest keys to the kingdom of God is found in the Holy Spirit. And if you're taking notes, we're going to go on a little bit of a run before we even get to to point number one, because I kind of need to make the case how important the Holy Spirit is in the life of every believer. Here's why. It is impossible to fully live for Christ and not live in the Holy Spirit. We hear a lot of talk, Jesus, 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 okay? And I'm all about Jesus. But you're going to see at the beginning of this message, Jesus was all about the Holy Spirit, okay? How many of us would say that... Based on what you know and what you've read about Jesus, you would say Jesus lived a legendary life on the earth. How many of you would say that? Okay, I I would agree, all right? If you're taking notes, write this one down. One of the greatest keys to the legendary life of Jesus was the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna show it to you. Flip over to John chapter one, starting in verse 32, you're gonna see how the hottest hot streak in the history of humanity started, okay? Jesus, during his three years of ministry on the earth, lived the hottest hot streak in the history of humanity. And I want you to see how this hot streak got started. John chapter one, verse 32. Then John gave this testimony, John the Baptist. He said, I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a or like a dove and remain on Jesus. I myself did not know him. In other words, John the Baptist is saying, I didn't know he was the Messiah, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And John says, I have seen this and I testify this is God's chosen one. Okay, it all starts. When Christ is baptized, the Holy Spirit descends and remains on him. Now, that remains on him is really important. Flip to John chapter 3, verse 33, if you're following along in your Bible. I want you to see this verse and the powerful phrase at the end. For Jesus is sent by God. He speaks God's words. For God gives him the Spirit without limit. Okay, this is huge. Why would God give Jesus the Holy Spirit without limit? Because the legendary life God sent Jesus to live on this earth required inordinate access, an inordinate amount of access to the Holy Spirit. You've got to understand this. Jesus, and this is going to shock some of you theologically, Jesus could not have lived the life he did on this earth without the Holy Spirit. Well, Preston, he was fully God. Yes, but he was also fully man. There's a reason he constantly got away to be with the Father. 
He needed what only the Holy Spirit could provide. Now, this is an important one-liner, all right? So I want you to write this down if you're following along. And if you don't have the notes, just write this one down. Since the Holy Spirit was crucial in the life of Jesus, he must therefore be essential in the lives of his followers. Since the Holy Spirit was crucial in the life of Jesus, he must therefore be essential in the lives of all of Christ's followers. But here's the really big problem. We, we do a lot of talking about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Uh, Jesus is Lord. I make Jesus Lord and Savior of my life. And that is essential. And it is, uh, it's a very, very good thing. But we were, as followers of Jesus Christ, not meant to stop there. Here's the problem. Too many believers are willing to let Jesus be Lord, but unwilling to let the Holy Spirit be God. Let me show you one more passage in John. Flip over to John 16 if you're following along, or you can read it with me on the screen or in your notes. I want you to listen to something very important that Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. You cannot miss this. Now, this is the Bible. Remember, so you may have come from a different denomination that doesn't believe fully in the Holy Spirit. And let me just remind you, uh, because most believers feel really comfortable with God as Father. They feel really comfortable with Jesus as Lord and Savior. But for some reason, they feel uncomfortable with the Holy Spirit, right? And let me just remind you, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, okay? not the weird third member of the Trinity, okay? He, he gets a bad rap, I think, because just some weird things are done in the name of the Holy Spirit, and I say this all of the time. The, if God isn't weird, Jesus isn't weird, the Holy Spirit isn't weird. Yeah, but Preston, I've seen weird people do, and that's, that's the key. Let's, let's key in on that. I've seen weird people do weird things in the name of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you didn't say the Holy Spirit was weird. You said weird people did weird things in the name of the Holy Spirit. Okay? The Holy Spirit is essential in the life of every believer. Now listen to what Jesus says in John 16. He's speaking to his disciples about his departure. He says in verse 5, But now I'm going away to the one who sent me, speaking of the Father. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you, that I was leaving. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the advocate, the helper, there, there are several meanings to this word, parakletos, the, the advocate, the helper, the Holy Spirit won't come if I don't go away. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Okay, Jesus is saying to his disciples who are freaking out that he's leaving. He's trying to calibrate them and say, hey, you, you guys aren't understanding how this works. It's actually best for you that I go. Because if I don't go, I can't send the Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't just say it's better for you that I go. Think about this. Jesus says it's best for you that I go so that I can send the Holy Spirit. Here's why he says it's best. Jesus would have thought it preposterous to attempt the Christian life without the help of the helper. 
This is why he could say, it's best for you that I go. Because to him, the fact that you as a son or daughter of God, after giving your life to Christ, would have the help of the capital H helper. He says, hey, it's best for you that I go. Because if I don't go, you're not going to have access to the helper. Here's what you need to remember. If you have a little internal wrestling match in regards to the Holy Spirit, you need to circle this one-liner, and then we're going to get into point number one. Jesus showed us how to live the Christian life. There is no doubt about that. But what you must remember is the Holy Spirit enables us to live the Christian life. Jesus showed us how to live the Christian life. The Holy Spirit is the one that enables us to live the Christian life. So let's jump in over the, these two weeks. Uh, we're going to cover eight things that the Holy Spirit does. This is not an exhaustive list, okay? But in this message, we're going to cover the first four, all right? So here's the first answer. Uh, when we talk about how, what, what does the Holy Spirit do? Point number one, he gives us hope. The Holy Spirit is the giver of hope. God is the object and source of hope. Jesus is the reason for or to hope. You just watch his life and it, it causes hope. Jesus is the reason for hope. But the Holy Spirit is the giver of hope. Romans chapter 15, verse 13, Paul says, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope. How? Through the power of whom? The Holy Spirit. God is the source of hope. The Holy Spirit is the giver of hope. It is impossible for you to expect, whether you are a believer in Jesus or not, it is impossible for you to expect to have hope in your life while simultaneously having a cut-off or shut-off relationship with the Holy Spirit who is the giver of hope. Here's another way to say it in a, in a one-liner form. Your level of hope is directly connected to the length of the leash you give the Holy Spirit to be active in your everyday life. You want hope? Then you need to foster a healthy, growing relationship with the giver of hope. Here's point number two. The Holy Spirit serves as the sign of our adoption. And you could use the word seal interchangeably with sign. The Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us, serves as the sign or seal of our adoption. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. How many of you know that is good news that God saved you? Yeah, that's really, really good news. Sometimes the Bible is so simple, but you're like, that, no, 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 that's a big deal right there. It's just, that, that's not kindergarten theology. Okay? The good news that God saves you. And you may be here today and you don't know Jesus personally and you're thinking, well, God saved all these people who believe in him. No, no, no. God sent Jesus to die on the cross for the whole world. That includes you. That is the good news of the gospel, that God saves you. You just got to let him by receiving what Jesus did for you on the cross. 
And when you believed in Christ, God identified you as his own. How did God identify you as his own? By giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Holy Spirit is God's guarantee. Underline that word in your notes. The Holy Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. Again, not to stir up the whole once saved, always saved, can I lose my salvation, you know, theological bear. I'm going to poke the bear a little bit. Guarantee is a strong word, right? Okay, my being saved isn't guaranteed by my behavior. God sent the Holy Spirit to dwell on the inside of every believer as a guarantee that I cannot screw up. The Holy Spirit serves as a guarantee, a seal, a sign of our adoption. Now, there are three things I want to help you understand that are just so beautiful about how God designed the Holy Spirit to serve as a sign or seal of our adoption. Now, the Greek word for seal has several different meanings. I'm going to point your attention to three. Here's the first one. A seal is a sign of ownership. A seal is a sign of ownership. God identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. Now, some of us, when we hear this word own, kind of freak out a little bit. And we immediately go to kind of a slave type culture. Well, if he owns, God owns me, I'm the slave. This is not a desirable relationship. Okay, here's what you need to understand. A bad owner talks like this. I own you. Okay, you will never hear God talk like that to you with that tone. Okay, a good owner talks like this. I am all about you. Okay, think about the, the object or the, the uh, thing you own that you prize more than anything else. How do you talk about it? Like, do you walk up to it and go, I own you? No. You're grateful that you get to have it, right? And so you, you talk like this. I can't believe I get to have this. This gets to be mine. Okay, here's how God talks as an owner about every one of his children. It has that same tone. I am yours and you are mine. Okay? It, it's not... I own you. God sent the Holy Spirit to be a seal of ownership. And he says, you belong to me and I belong to you. He makes statements like, I will never leave you or forsake you. Okay, that's not a bad owner. That's a good owner. And listen, some of us are, are a little gun shy as it relates to seeing God as our owner or uh, our caregiver. He cares for us. Think about this. If God owned a car, how would he take care of it? Like trash? Or would a perfect God care for his car in a perfect way? Right? Okay, then why would any of us think that God would not take care of his children, whom he says he owns? If you think God would take perfect care of a car, but not perfect care of you, you don't understand what kind of an owner he is. All right. Here's the second thing as it relates to the Greek word for seal. A seal points to a finished transaction. A finished transaction. Guarantee. 
the Holy Spirit serves as a guarantee from God that he will give every one of his children the inheritance he promised. Here's one of the best parts about this. Uh, God doesn't just give you his name to show that this transaction is finished. He gives you himself. He puts himself on the inside of you. Okay, when I married my wife, she took my name. And, and that was kind of a big deal. What's even more amazing, when we become God's children, he doesn't just say, here, Preston, here's my name. He says, hey, sunshine, I'm giving you myself. That's unbelievable. The Holy Spirit is God's guarantee of a finished transaction. But here's the third and the most romantic of the three. The Greek word for seal also means engagement ring. The Greek word for seal also means engagement ring. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. And God has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. Okay, this is a crazy romantic verse right here. Okay, think about this. Our first installment. The Greek word for seal can also mean engagement ring. Think about this for a minute. Have you ever met someone who was married and you, you ask them this question, what's the best part about being married? And the person answered you by saying, the engagement ring. Have you ever met anybody who said the best part of marriage is the engagement ring? Anybody, either campus. Okay, of course not. Why? Because it's just the beginning. Think about this, what we just read in this verse in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Think about this. God is saying the Holy Spirit is simply the first installment of everything I have promised to give you. That's amazing. That the God of the universe would look at you and say, Preston, basically, the Holy Spirit is like me getting down on one knee and saying, I want to spend forever with you. And this is just the beginning of the unbelievable life that the two of us are going to spend together for all eternity. Let me show it to you in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Think about this. The Holy Spirit, the one whom Jesus said, it's best for you if I go, so that you can have an intimate relationship with the helper. Jesus made a big deal out of the Holy Spirit. And then God goes on record and says, oh, my children, this is how amazing this abundant life really is. The Holy Spirit is just the first installment of an eternal payment plan. That is crazy. That's crazy. Okay, now think about this. For those of us who have a shut off or cut off relationship with the Holy Spirit, I want you to see the Holy Spirit a little bit differently. Would you ever let the God of the universe get down on one knee, propose to you, and say, I want to spend eternity with you, and here's my ring. Would you ever look him in the face and say, get that out of my face? That's weird looking. And yet, a lot of believers do that. 
They accept the relationship, but they reject the first installment of the eternal payment plan. God says, hey, the Holy Spirit is simply the first installment of an amazing life. That brings us to point number three, and I love this one. What does the Holy Spirit do? He tells us secrets. How many like secrets? Yeah, secrets are one of the ways you know you're close with somebody. My wife knows secrets about me that you never will. It speaks to a measure of intimacy. And you're gonna see, this is one of the most amazing and romantic things about your God, okay? And especially if you're here or watching this online or at Tempe and you don't know God personally yet and you feel he's some distant, impossible to figure out kind of God, this is gonna mess with you because it's entirely possible that what you think about God is absolutely wrong. The Holy Spirit tells us secrets. The Greek word for secret is the word mysterion. Mysterion. Now, what word or words does mysterion sound like? Mysterious or mystery, right? So you might, might be here and you say, yeah, see, see, God is mysterious. He is far away. He can't be figured out. He, he's just like that. He, he, he's just difficult is another way to say it. Okay, that's not what mysterious means. Here's what I would say is the best definition for the word mysterious. Romantically unpredictable. Yes, God is mysterious. Scripture says as much. Isaiah 55 verse 8. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, nor your ways, my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Okay, here's what you need to understand. It is true that it is impossible for a finite mind to completely understand an infinite God. That's what God's saying in Isaiah 55. He says, hey, Preston, my ways are much higher than your ways. My thoughts are so much higher than your thoughts. So is God in Isaiah 55 saying, you're never going to figure me out. I'm just too difficult to be figured out. That's not at all what he's saying. And that's why he sends the Holy Spirit. Now, here's, if you're taking notes, fill this one in, okay? Man cannot penetrate what only the Holy Spirit can unlock. Man cannot penetrate what only the Holy Spirit can unlock. What does a God who wants to be known do to help his finite or his limited children get a greater understanding of his awesome and unlimited nature? What does he do? Here's the answer. He sends someone to tell all of his secrets. God sends someone to share all of his secrets. I'll show it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. Now, this is speaking about salvation. I understand the context of this is salvation. And so I've heard teachers hammer, well, the secret is salvation. Okay? So before I read any more, fill out this one-liner. The gospel is not the only secret but it is the most important of all secrets, 
okay? But notice I say secrets. There's not just one secret, and you're about to see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. For God's Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. Plural. Not secret, as though it just pertained to the gospel. The Holy Spirit shares God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. Think about this. This is why it's such a big deal to have a cut-off or shut-off relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because one of the highest jobs of the Holy Spirit is to reveal the wonderful things God wants to do for you. How is that bad? How has the Holy Spirit become the weird or bad guy of the Trinity? When the Holy Spirit's job is to reveal the wonderful things your Father, the God of the universe, has freely given you. Here's my biggest, biggest problem and frustration as it relates to the Holy Spirit in the church. Too many people, when they hear the name Holy Spirit, attach one dangerous word to his name, and it's the word unhinged. And I actually believe that's part of the enemy's plan, that it's actually the enemy who has attached the word unhinged to the Holy Spirit. Why? Because scripture attaches the word unveils to the Holy Spirit. You see, the enemy knows that the more our eyes are opened by the Holy Spirit to the wonderful things found in God through Christ, that it changes everything. And so his preemptive attempt to keep you from experiencing all of those amazing unveiled moments where the Holy Spirit shares God's secrets with you. The enemy preemptively tries to stop that by associating the word unhinged with the Holy Spirit. Oh, man, if, you, if, if, if you're led by the Holy Spirit, you're unhinged. You're out of control. You're weird. Okay, am I out of control right now? Am I weird right now? Don't answer that second question, okay? <laughs> I would say no. But I'm absolutely being led by the Holy Spirit. Listen to me closely. One of my goals is to be a fully functioning follower of Jesus Christ. And as I have spent half my life studying the life of Jesus, it didn't take me long to figure out that one of the greatest keys of his life on the earth was following the leadership of the Holy Spirit was the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And so, I, as a follower of Jesus Christ, must be led by the Holy Spirit. And so should you. Point number three, the Holy Spirit tells us secrets. Now, to illustrate this, uh, I'll, I'll kind of make it personal to me. My wife's mother who went to be with the Lord a little over a decade ago, one of the most amazing people I have ever met, one of the sweetest, 
and God-loving people I've ever been around. Um, when I went to propose to Holly, I was living in Dallas, working at Gateway, and Holly was still living here. And so before I flew to Phoenix to ask her, the night before I flew to California where her parents live to ask them if I could marry her. And her, her dad is in this service, and so he remembers this night very well. Uh, I, I look back knowing that for several hours he thoroughly enjoyed grilling me. Uh, and it was basically the standard, now Preston, you're not always going to be a loser like this, right? <laughs> like, at, like at some point, you're going to figure it out, you know? And that's not what they said, but that's pretty much, you know, I was like, I get it. I'm like a one out of ten on where I hope to finish, but I love your daughter, okay? Um, and so, you know, her dad for several hours uh, kind of just, he had his questions and his process. And then he had to get up at four uh, to work in the morning. And so he went on to bed and, and it was, you know, about midnight at this time. And Holly's mom stayed up with me even later because she had more questions. And one of the questions she asked me was this, why do you love my baby? And so as I began to answer that question, there were a few things that I loved, but um, they also frustrated me at times. It, it just depended. And so I started communicating that, that I love this, but sometimes it goes too far and I get frustrated. And she made a statement that I heard her say several times in our relationship over the coming years. Here's what she would say. Let me tell you something about my baby. And she'd go on to explain a different perspective of what I was looking at or frustrated by, okay? Well, I remember years later, uh, Holly and I had gotten into an argument and I just so happened to talk to her mom on the phone and she said, how's my baby, honey? And I said, uh, pretty much, I don't really care right now, mom. <laughs> I'm frustrated. Well, why are you frustrated? And I went on to tell her and she made that all important statement. Let me tell you something about my baby. And every time she used those words, what she spoke next was literal gold to me. Okay, here's what I need you to understand. This is what the Holy Spirit does with you. Time and time again, the Holy Spirit wants to come in intimately into the room and speak to you and starts the conversation with these words. Let me tell you something about your daddy. Okay, help me understand how the Holy Spirit could ever be seen as bad. If that's one of the most frequent conversations the Holy Spirit comes to have with us. Let me tell you something about your daddy. That's what the secret conversations start with. The Holy Spirit tells you some of the deepest secrets about the God of the universe. That brings us to point number four, and this one might surprise you. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. Now, I know some of you are thinking, uh, this message uh, was really romantic there for a while, like really intimate and loving, and you're ending with the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. Preston, ah, this is not computing or connecting with me. Okay, this week, 
I feel like the Holy Spirit helped me understand this role that he has in a way I've never understood it before, okay? And it's actually a very sweet thing. And you may be here and you don't know God personally yet. And maybe the reason you don't know him personally yet is because you know the bad things you've done and the last thing you want to feel is condemned by God. Okay, let me help you understand the difference between the two, all right? John 16, if you're there, verse 8, says, And when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in man. Okay, there is a huge difference between condemnation and conviction. The Bible does not say the Holy Spirit comes to condemn the world. It says the Holy Spirit comes to convict. Here's the difference. The voice of condemnation says this. You are bad. You are bad. You did something bad. That means you are bad. Okay, that's what the voice of condemnation sounds like. Interestingly enough, the Bible tells us where much of that condemnation comes from. 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us. I'm a one on the Enneagram, with, which if you know anything about the Enneagram, ones have very harsh inner critics. I hear this, this voice, you are bad, about every eight minutes of my life, okay? That's not the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes it's not even the enemy. It's my heart condemning me, saying I'm bad. But, but listen to what scripture says. The good news is God is greater than your heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. How do we keep from letting our heart condemn us? We understand the difference between condemnation and conviction. The voice of conviction says this. This is bad. Okay, condemnation says you are bad. The Holy Spirit, who comes to convict the world of sin says it like this, and I believe with this tone, hey, this is bad, Preston. This is bad for you. Here's what you need to understand about real love. Real love is always bothered by anything that can hurt you. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to yell at you and say, you are so bad because of what you did. The Holy Spirit will come and say, Preston, this is bad for you. Honey, this isn't good. This is bad for you. Not just this is bad. The reason it's bothersome is because it's bad for me. Let me give you three quick things about the Holy Spirit. And really, it's about the tone of the Holy Spirit. Because if you think the Holy Spirit is an antagonist, you need to really understand he is the opposite. Here's the first thing. The Holy Spirit is your advocate, not your attacker. John 14, 16 in the New Living says, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, Paracletos, speaking of the Holy Spirit, who will never leave you. Listen, attackers come and go. But the advocate never, ever leaves no matter what. The Holy Spirit is not your attacker. He's your advocate. He's for you. Second thing, the Holy Spirit is your helper. 
not your herder. The ESV translates this exact same verse, John 14, 16, using one of the other meanings for the word parakletos. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Then here's the third. Same verse can also be translated. The Holy Spirit is your comforter. The Holy Spirit is referred to as a comforter in scripture, not your condemner. As it relates to the Holy Spirit, there, because of Ephesians chapter 4, which says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by the way in which you live. And I've heard the grieving of the Holy Spirit taught for much of my life. And I, I really think there's a lot of misunderstanding. I've heard people teach on uh, believers who are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, but I haven't heard much teaching on the fact that the Holy Spirit himself is sensitive. The mere fact that the Holy Spirit can be grieved, which simply means can be saddened, means the Holy Spirit is sensitive. And I've heard people talk about, well, how do you grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, it's with unrighteous behavior. Sure, of course. Like I've already said, the Holy Spirit is grieved when we do ungodly things, not just because it's bad, but because it's bad for us. And so the Holy Spirit is saddened because the Holy Spirit loves us. But I want to give you what I think is the number one way the Holy Spirit is grieved. Keeping him at a distance. This week as I was preparing for this message, I felt like there was a moment in my time where the Holy Spirit said, Preston, can you imagine marrying your wife and every day and every night she locks herself in your bedroom and never lets you in? Can you imagine how you would feel? And of course my response was no. That would be awful. Here's what I felt like he said, Preston, this is what I experience every day with countless followers of Christ. They make Jesus Lord, but they refuse to fully embrace me, to let me in and just be with them. So here's my question for you. Where are you on the Holy Spirit? If you are anywhere other than a place where you know as a follower of Jesus Christ that you cannot live without the Holy Spirit, if you are anywhere but there, here's what I would lovingly submit to you. You need to do whatever you have to do to get there because you're missing out. God has so much more for you. You're not less than and you're not bad. It's just you could be experiencing a lot more than you presently are by simply opening the door of your heart to the Holy Spirit and saying, have your way with me. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.